Make sure that you take sales very seriously. You know, there's a lot of businesses that think that, you know, it's like the field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. And that's actually not the case at all. JB, I'm excited to continue our conversation. Now hearing a bit more about your story, your journey over the past 10, 11, 11 years. Um, where did it all begin? What was the beginning <laughs> that kind of led to where you are today? Well, we started in 2009 and, uh, you know, the, the years leading up to that, you know, I was playing college football and I was very busy at that time. And that's like a full-time job in college. And then when I finished uh, my senior season playing, I had a lot of time on my hands. I didn't have to practice anymore. I didn't have to do all this stuff. So I said, you know what, I'm going to walk down about a block away from school was this magazine uh, travel company nearby. And I just walked in there because I always had a passion for design and marketing just in general, just even when I was younger. Um, and I walked in and said, hey, you know what, I'm pretty talented with design and sales or whatever I got to do. You know, I'm willing to help out for free. I just want to learn. And they said, well, we really don't have any positions available, but we do need a website. Do you know how to build a website? And I, I said, I have no idea how to build a website, but you give me a desk and a computer in a couple months and I'll figure it out. And so they did. Uh, they took a chance on me and I, I learned how to build a website and I built it like three or four times before I actually showed it to the owner there. And then they, they looked at it and they were like, this is the best website I've ever seen, you know? So then I realized that I had a talent that not a lot of people had at that time. And I saw the opportunity that businesses were shifting from really the traditional ways of marketing to digital and saw that opportunity. So I talked to my dad about it. He had a futures and commodities uh, brokerage firm that he had started himself and was very successful. Um, and he thought it was a great idea too, but at that point in time, it was mostly freelance. It wasn't real companies doing, you know, digital marketing, those sorts of things. And so I started working with him and we started testing these things. So we started doing Google ads when it first came out, we started building technology, online trading platforms, all those things. We started leaning into digital and technology in general. And then around 2009, uh, we both just, you know, could see that it was just such a huge opportunity. We just had to jump on it. And so we decided, hey, you know what, let's do it. So we started in this small little office. We gave away all of our brokerage accounts of which we were very successful. So uh, we took a big risk with that, started in a small little office and just off to the races from there. You know, we had our first uh, lead come in. We turned our marketing, had our first lead, sold them. That's actually still an account with us today. And we just like a snowball just grew from that point um, to where we are today, which is about, we're about 600 people and 20,000 accounts today. That initial beginning, uh, getting uh, getting started, sounds like you were self-funded or you had this successful business with, uh, with your family, your father, and then being able to get started, getting that first customer. Is there any words of wisdom or tactics that you've uh, used to get that first customer and get that beginning started that another person can learn from? I would say like, make sure that you take sales very seriously. You know, there's a lot of businesses that think that, you know, it's like the field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. And that's actually not the case at all. You have to build it and then go hunt them. Um, so you have to have a salesperson if it's not you and you have to lean into that. Um, luckily we had an experience through the brokerage industry and just realized that sales was so powerful and so important and customer experience was so valuable. You have to build raving fans and you have to really invest in that. And so I would say start there um, and then do your marketing. So we had marketing budget set aside. It was only a thousand dollars a month initially is all it was. You know, today we're spending, you know, five, six hundred thousand dollars a month on marketing. And so we started with just a thousand bucks. That's only thirty dollars a day was our budget. And we built all our marketing campaigns, built our website out and we turned it on. We went to work out. 
for an hour. We came back, we already had a lead. We called the lead right away and just continued following up until they opened their account. Um, and so you have to just attack your business with a mindset of, it's not gonna be easy, but if you believe in your product or service, then it's your duty to sell it to somebody. So put some effort behind sales. The power of sales, that's what leads to the growth. To then manage that growth, you need to have a good team. Can you tell, share anything about what has it been like to grow a team now to 600 people? What does it take? It takes great leaders, you know? I think, you know, what we always say here is, championship leaders build championship teams that drive championship performance and championship leaders their responsibility really is the mission the vision the strategy of how to get there the goals and the milestones you need to achieve along the way and then the personnel and the personnel make up that championship team and a championship team is two things it's it's culture and execution and so you have to just focus on the culture of the team and the execution of the team that's needed to drive you know, championship performance. So if you can just take care of building a championship team, the championship performance piece at the end, that just takes care of itself. And so the key is great leaders. And as you're building your organization, you have to keep your eye out all the time for really that next leader. Because as you grow your organization, there comes a point where you can't lead everybody effectively anymore. So you have to be able to duplicate yourself with somebody that is as good or better as you scale so that you can maintain quality and performance and culture and execution and all those things. So always be looking for that next person that's going to take over the leadership of that next thing or that next department so that they can then grow the team underneath them. And if you can be successful at that, you stay pretty consistent and grow pretty effectively. What was the first few hires that you made? First few hires, the, first, the very first hire was a designer. Um, at that point in time, I was doing you know, that piece of the, of the project myself. And so that was one piece I really was realizing was time consuming and I could focus my efforts in other areas that were really important. So we found a good designer, brought them in. They were also a developer, they could do both. So we brought them in, um, that was the first hire. But after that, we just hired based on you know the, the things that I was doing. At first I wore all the hats, the things I was doing that I needed to probably offload so I could focus on the next thing. We would bring that person in and we just kind of scaled up from there. When you're looking for leaders then to, to lead a division or a section, are you naturally already thinking, I'm going to hire this person, oh, they could potentially grow into that? Or do you hire then leaders externally to, to come in? What's your, your mindset? Almost all of our leaders have come from within. And so we don't necessarily have them pegged as the leader when we bring them on board. What we want to do is bring people on board and let the cream rise to the top. And you're going to identify those leaders. They're just going to naturally become the leader. They should be the leader before they're the leader. You know, it should be a no brainer. When they are moved into that role, everybody on the team's like, yeah, I mean, why did we wait so long? You know, that's how it should be. And so you just need to keep your eye out for those people and, and just kind of let them rise to the top. That initial beginning, you said to get the first couple customers and clients, it was just dogged determination, just do it, sales, and reach out and get it. Scaling now, going from you know, the first couple, 10 or 100, then to hundreds, thousands now, tens of thousands, what does it take? Some tact Can you share a tactic that you use to, to really scale then and get to where you are today? Well, I mean, you have to process and prove all the time. I think that's the key because what worked with 10 people 
didn't work with 50 and what worked with 50 didn't work with 100. And what worked with 100 isn't working today with 600. So you're constantly innovating and evolving your processes. You have to be willing to change. And so you have to build a culture that embraces change and uh, you have to be willing to change. And by doing that, you're actually not afraid to take risks because if it doesn't work, you just change again, right? You just keep changing. You, I call it pivoting. You're just constantly pivoting. And so don't be afraid of pivoting. And so have good processes, solid processes that are documented that your team understands. That's very clear, but then be, be willing to change them, you know, all the time. And if you're continually changing and improving your processes, then you can continually adjust um, as your company scales and as it grows. This past, uh, in 2020, has been an interesting year. How has it affected you guys, both internally and externally, as far as how you communicate and the way you do business? Yeah, it's been very challenging. As far as how we communicate and do business, it's even become more digital, essentially. I mean, our organization was all on site. So we had, you know, 500 plus people coming on site every day. And then COVID happened and we were a pretty early adopter of just allowing everybody to work from home. And so we started doing that. Thankfully, our industry, you know, we're able to do that. Um, also, thankfully, we actually moved to the Zoom phone systems literally about two months before COVID happened. So we just leaned into it and said, hey, you know what? We're going to keep doing all our same meetings, same schedule, same everything. And we're just going to do it all on Zoom. You have to be on camera, though. So we bought everybody a camera to make sure everybody was on camera because you need to have that human interaction still. That's really important. And we actually started increasing our, our meeting volume, but making them short. So we call them micro meetings. So having multiple micro meetings a day with your team keeps them feeling like they're still connected to the team, even though they're not sitting right there with each other. Um, I think is key by doing a meeting only like once a week or every couple of days, you start to lose that. So for example, you could do three meetings a day, one in the morning. Here's the goals for today. How's everybody doing? What questions you have a midday meeting, which is like a halftime update. Here's where we're at for the day. Here's our pacing. Any questions, maybe a small training on a new thing that you're rolling out and then an end of day recap. Okay. Day's over. Here's how we did any questions, how you guys feeling, you know, just by doing those quick five minute or less meetings, it really keeps that connectivity of the team. And so that's what we've been doing. That's powerful to have those micro meetings, keeping that visual face to face happening. So you keep that connection. Right. Are, is that a, a company wide? Is that division? How do you break those, uh, those regular meetings up? Division mostly. So as far as company wide, we do one meeting a week company wide. We call it our all hands meeting. Um, we do it every Friday. And actually what we call it internally is the Friday tag up. So every Friday we have the Friday tag up. It's at 715 a.m. our time and it's usually done within 15 or 20 minutes. And so we do this meeting on Zoom. So everybody in the company is on Zoom and we will cover, you know, just company updates. Um, we believe that, you know, clarity plus transparency equals uh, prosperity. So you need to be clear on where we're going, what the vision is, where we're at. You need to be transparent in how we're doing. And if you do those two things, then it's usually a prosperous outcome. And so we try to be very clear and transparent every single week on those things. We'll also talk about client feedback, show positive reviews, do quick highlights on the new features in the platform and that kind of thing so that we're all on the same page as a whole. Moving forward in the next um, a year and going into the future, what challenges do you see you're going to need to overcome uh, to, to move forward? Whether it's more internal or even external reaching out to your customers and clients. The big challenges right now is just, you know, continually leaning into platform adoption. So the challenges is, you know, how do we properly make the platform 
you know, very valuable to these small businesses, but easy to understand. It's hard to have a platform that is complex in terms of its functionality, but yet easy to understand. And so that's a challenge within the technology of just making it so easy. My grandma could do it, but so powerful, any business could use it kind of a thing. And so that's what we've been really working on. And so we're actually just constantly training our own team because I think it starts there. Their knowledge and their competence has to be absolutely full every day. And if that's the case, they can pass that down to the customer. So that's really where we're starting is leveling up our team's knowledge because it's still a new platform. And many, you know, it's only been live for not even a year. So a lot of our team is even still learning the functionality. So we're starting there and then we're gonna just continue to find ways to level up our client's knowledge base and get them using the platform more. For you, uh, how have, you grown and learn and, and innovate what books or audiobooks or podcasts have you found of uh, helpful or insightful uh, to grow for me personally I, I commute about 20 minutes to and from work it's about how far away i live and so i still come into the office because i just enjoy that um, and so what i do during that time period is just stream content um, and my number one way of doing that is actually just YouTube. So when I'm on YouTube, you know, the feed, the algorithm starts to know what you like. So it'll be showing me marketing, you know, videos, sales videos, leadership videos, things like that. And I'll kind of go through that once or twice a week and just add a bunch of videos to my watch later list. And then when I'm driving to and from work, I'm just streaming that. So it's just playing through all the videos that caught my eye that I thought would be good and good content to consume. And I just do that to and from work every day. So it's about 40 minutes of content that I'm consuming across all different types of topics. And I've, I've just found that's most effective for me. I don't have the patience to sit through a really long audio book anymore. And I actually prefer content that's like in the 10 to 20 minute or less range um, for me is better across a variety of different topics. So that's my process. Interesting. I've never heard someone using YouTube that way in their commute to listen to it. It's creating the algorithm just plays it for you, auto plays. That's yep. cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, if you had to, to, to share kind of your, how you've changed as a leader over the last 11 years, you probably weren't the same leader when you started as you are today, 600 people later. Um, what did it take to change as a leader? And do you think uh, there's anything you can share to someone else to realize that they can't be the same person as they were if they truly want to grow. Yeah, I think it's John Maxwell that says the law of the lid is the organization can only go as high as, as the leader caps that at. So the only way to continue to grow is to move that lid up. And you, you as a leader have to continually be doing things to increase your lid, move it higher. And that's through things like we just talked about, you know, consuming that content, con continuously learning, self-development, um, and also just really just listening to your team. I think you need to listen to your team for feedback and from your customers, and you need to take action on that. Um, and they'll tell you, they'll tell you where you need to improve, whether it's you personally or as an organization. And if you're taking action on those things, you don't necessarily need to go out and find areas to improve. You just need to listen to it and actually do it, you know? And if you just continually do that, you'll continually improve. And it's just like anything through experience, you know, you just get better. So over the course of 11 years, you, you know, new levels bring new devils. And as you're growing, you, there's new problems to overcome. And as you overcome those, you sort of mastered that level and then you move up to the next one. So, you know, it's like when you start a video game, the, the easy level is, is really easy. And then you get good and you move up here and you get kind of beat up and then you get good enough to go here. And it's sort of the same thing in business. And so 
I'd say just don't get discouraged, you know, like problems, you're in your role for a reason. It's because you're a problem solver. And so stop being upset that there's problems to solve. That's why you're there. You know, figure out how to solve them and move forward. And I think if you do that, you just naturally get better. You're a problem solver. Don't be afraid when there's problems that arise. I love that. Sure. You, I also like the, the imagery, John Maxwell, the law of the lid. I imagine you yourself, yes, but even the leaders that you have within your organization, they also can prevent growth. What do you look for in a good leader? When you're, when you're saying, oh, we need a new leader here, what are like two or three things that you look for in those team members to say, this will be a good leader? Usually somebody that has a positive mindset. Positive mindsets create positive outcomes and negative mindsets create negative outcomes. And so you can give a, a positive mindset person and a negative mindset person the same problem to solve. And the positive person will be innovative. They'll find new ways. They won't take no for an answer. They'll continue figuring out how to do it and they'll do it and they'll solve it faster. Um, a negative mindset person will complain about it the whole time. They'll tell others how frustrating it is. They'll take three times longer and they won't fully solve it quite right. And so we look for positive minded people um, that, you know, really radiate positivity of those around them. That does not mean that they're yes men or women. It means that they're positive minded in terms of they are still creative thinkers and they're willing to speak up if they think that their way is a better way, but they ultimately believe in the brand and the organization and that there is a solution. And if we work together, we can find it um, as opposed to being negative minded. That's really who we would look for. Positive mindset makes a difference. Last question I have here for you. What kind of technology innovations do you predict we'll see in the near term, in the next year or so, and the long term, five, 10 years from now? Well, I can really only speak to our space because that's where, where I'm most invested in terms of my time. And I would say in our space in particular, you're just going to continually see um, a trend towards a singular platform. Um, there's a lot of point solutions today um, for various things. There's point solutions for payments, uh, for email, for e-commerce, et cetera. And so really there's going to be this uh, move towards a singular platform. From a singular login, you can do everything you need to do. And that's really where we're trying to go, you know, with Marketing 360. Um, and I also see a continual uh, push on automation, um, particularly in things like ads. So, you know, you're seeing some of that now, but essentially in the future, you'll be able to put your campaign ideas into the system, um, upload your branding collateral and hit go. And it, sh it will be able to understand who to show your messaging to, where to show it to them, what time to show it to them so that you get the positive return that you're looking for. There won't be so much background scenes, ad management, pulling levers in the background. You'll still need the strategic thought because you'll never replace the creativity of the human mind, but you will be able to replace the manual labor piece of doing a lot of the work in the background scenes. So it's actually should be exciting for people in the marketing space because a lot of that work isn't necessarily the fun part of the job. Fun part of the job is actually thinking about the campaigns, thinking about the strategy that will still exist but the execution of it will be more automated. I think that's where it's going. That concludes the audio version of this episode. To see the original and more, visit our Uptech Report YouTube channel. If you know a tech company we should interview, you can nominate them at uptechreport.com. Or if you just prefer to listen, make sure you subscribe to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app.